All right, I'm excited about today. We're in the home stretch of our sermon series, Unlikely Heroes. And we've saved the best for last. From now until Easter, we're going to be studying the life of Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of our faith. He's the cornerstone of our church. And he's our only hope of spending eternity with God in heaven. Today, we're going to spend some time studying the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is the God-man. He's 100% God and 100% man. And that can be difficult for our small minds to comprehend. I mean, how can he be both 100% God and 100% man? Aren't those two things kind of mutually exclusive? Well, wouldn't logic dictate that he'd have to be one or the other? Well, you can't really rely on logic to understand God because our minds just really don't have the capacity to understand the full extent of who God is. Some things are positional truths that they're true whether we understand them or not. And so sometimes to understand, we need both faith and logic, faith and logic. We're going to be in Philippians chapter two. We're going to begin reading in verse five today. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And uh, Lord, it is our desire to just lift up the name of Jesus in this place. God, as as we have already sung, and God, we just praise your name today. We lift up the name of Jesus. God, I pray that as we read your word, I pray the words that I speak this morning would all all uplift the name of Jesus. And God, that we would leave here today with an even higher view of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. So God, we dedicate these next few moments unto you. God, may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, open our eyes, uh, and God, just help us to see who Jesus really was. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As the son of God, Jesus has existed from eternity past, but there was a specific point in time when Jesus took on human flesh to dwell with us. Of course, we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus each year at Christmas. Jesus is a person with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. In other words, Jesus is both God and man. Now, next week, I'm going to spend time talking about the deity of Jesus Christ so we can understand a little bit more about how Jesus was actually God. But for our time today, I want us to spend some time talking about the humanity of Jesus. Sometimes we don't spend much time talking about this. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it says, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So if you think of it, the one who made everything, the stars, the skies, the earth, everything in it, made himself nothing. Christ made himself small. He made himself dependent upon human lungs and a human heart and and on legs. He became subject to hunger and thirst. The God who made the universe had to learn how to walk and how to bathe and how to dress himself. Why? Why? To become human. He did this willingly. He chose to do this. Now, let me remind you that Jesus has always been God. There's never been a time when Jesus 
became God. God is eternal. But Jesus has not always been man. He's always been God, but he's not always been man. At the birth of Christ, at Christmas time, we celebrate that Jesus became man. That's why it's such a big celebration. Now, it's important to understand that Jesus did not give up his divinity in order to become human. He did not stop being God when he put on human flesh. One theologian put it this way. He said, remaining what he was, he became what he was not. So Jesus did not give up any of his divine attributes when he became a man. He remained in full possession of them all, yet willingly he put on human flesh and became human in order to redeem mankind and to be, so that you and I could be adopted into his heavenly family. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So Jesus, Jesus is every bit as human as you and I are. He was born of a woman just like every person in this room. He is fully man. He didn't just look like a man. He didn't just simply have aspects of humanity. He was and is fully human. He had a human body. He had a human mind. He had a human soul. He grew up the same way that you and I grow up. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It can be hard for us to comprehend, but Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus had to learn to read and write. Jesus had to learn his ABCs. Jesus probably sang the song, Twinkle, twinkle, little star, I once placed you where you are. You know? <laughs> he grew in stature. His body developed like any other body develops. His voice cracked when he matured. His back ached when he lifted something heavy. He got sunburned if he spent a day at the beach. There were probably days that he didn't feel like getting out of bed because he was tired. He was like us. He was human. It says he grew in favor with God. Jesus grew spiritually. Let your mind wrap around that. He spent time in prayer with the Father. Jesus read the law and the prophets. Jesus went to the synagogue to learn. Jesus tithed on his income. Jesus gave to the Imagine campaign. <laughs> well, he would have. He would have. <laughs> I'm not going to speak for him. He may not have. I don't know. <laughs> he grew in favor with man. I think this is in it. He grew socially. He had friends. We don't think about that often, but he, he probably kicked the ball around the neighborhood lot with his friends. Probably when he was about 12, he started to notice the fact that girls are kind of pretty. He probably had most of the same emotions that you and I have. He cried. He got angry. He got sad. There were times when he grew frustrated. Jesus was just as human as you and me. And yet he was distinct in one very important way. He lived his entire life without sinning. Not even one time. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. 
Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus lived his entire human life without committing one sin. If Jesus were not sinless, there would be no no sacrifice. There'd be no, no there'd be no no salvation for you and I. His manner of life, his actions, his word, his attitudes, the innermost thoughts of his heart were always righteous, never once sinful. He lived a completely sinless life. He demonstrated dominance over sin. By overcoming every temptation, he demonstrated complete authority over Satan. He showed the fact that you and I do not have to sin. We choose to sin. We're drawn to sin. We're prone to sin. But we don't have to sin. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us to resist the temptation to sin. Jesus showed us the way. He yielded that power over temptation in a life that spanned three decades, never once did he entertain a bad thought. Never once did he utter a word or carry out an action that was defiled by impure motives. He always honored his father in heaven. He honored his mother and father on earth. He never lusted. He never, he never broke out in a sinful, angry outburst. He didn't gossip. He didn't slander his neighbor. He never stole, he never lied, he never cheated. He paid his taxes on time. In short, he submitted to every commandment of the law of God without wavering. And it was because of his completely righteous life that Jesus was able to pay the steep price that was demanded for the redemption of mankind. The Bible is clear that death is the price that must be paid in order for man to have eternal life. Paul made this clear in his letter to the, to the Romans. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Someone had to pay sin's ransom. Jesus is the only candidate who has ever walked on the face of the earth that could pay that price because he's the only one who has been sinless, spotless. He was the unblemished lamb. Jesus fulfilled all the requirements necessary to pay for our sins. And as our substitute, Jesus took all of my sins, all of your sins, the sins of the entire world upon himself on the cross. Peter put it like this, 1 Peter 1. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. When Jesus hung on the cross... He became our substitute. He took our place, my place and your place. The one who had done no wrong had the full weight of our collective sin placed upon him on the cross. Now, let's go back to our opening text. Verse eight, it says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, as a parent, there are times when your child is sick. Uh, you know, maybe they're in the hospital, maybe they're facing surgery, they're facing something painful. 
You've probably at some point said, you know, to your child, if, if I could take your place, I would. If I could take this pain for you, I would do that. I would rather go through this pain than for you to go through this pain. Um, but it doesn't work like that, right? We can't just simply trade places with someone else. If you have cancer, you have to deal with it. If you have a heart condition, you have to deal with it. If you have gas, we all have to deal with it. <laughs> However, sorry, you're, just, you're gonna have to get up. That's the way it is. There is one deadly condition, however, that we can have a substitute. In theological terms, we call this the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Jesus took our place on the cross to suffer the wrath of God. And all of God's anger towards our rebellion was placed upon Jesus. In the hours leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane, agonizing over the cup of wrath that he was about to face. And he knew what he was about to drink. But know this, that the cup of his suffering that was handed to him had your name on it and my name on it. It's our sin that put Jesus on the cross. If he drinks it, God will do to him what he should have done to us and what he should have done to me. If Christ drinks that cup, he will become my substitute, your substitute. He takes your place on the cross. We see this throughout the New Testament. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. He's the righteous, we're the unrighteous. He suffered in our place. He was put to death in my stead, in your stead. And God accepted Christ's death as the payment for my sins and your sin. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My friends, this is the greatest exchange made in the history of mankind, in the history of the world. Jesus took upon himself all of our sin and in exchange we get all of his righteousness. Amen. Do you see how incredible that is? It's like I failed the test, but the teacher gave me Jesus's grade. I got an F, but I got an A because of Jesus. And Jesus took my F. That's what he's done for you and me. He has taken all of our sins upon himself. And then he said, but you get my righteousness. You, it gets accounted to your account when you put your faith in me. That's an incredible thing. Jesus came to rescue you and me from the wrath of God, from the penalty of our sin. Galatians 1 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus was able to rescue us because he was one of us, because he put on human flesh and because he became a, a man. So that's why the humanity of Jesus is so important. That's why the incarnation of Christ is such a celebration. Without Christmas, there'd be no Easter. Jesus was born to die. Remember what the angel said to Joseph 
An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The very name Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Jesus was born to save us. He was also given the title Christ. That means the anointed one. In the Old Testament times, the Jewish people looked forward to the day when God would send a king that would rule over the entire world. The Hebrew word for king was Messiah, and it means the anointed one or the chosen one. Later in the New Testament, that word Messiah was translated into the Greek word Christos, and then when it's translated into English, it becomes Christ. So Jesus is the anointed one, the coming king of kings who will one day rule the world. Until he was 30, Jesus lived a normal life among his people. He worked a steady job. His friends had no idea that he was the Messiah. His friends had no idea that Jesus was God in the flesh. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that he has been given? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. (laughs) They were like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me Jesus, the one who used to play ball in the backyard? You're telling me that Jesus who used to run up and down the street here, that that Jesus is God? I mean, the carpenter said, he fixed, he fixed my window. Are you telling me? You're telling me that the guy that fixed my window is the Messiah. That's what you're telling me? Come on. How can that be? The people in his hometown couldn't wrap their head around it. They, couldn't, they just couldn't believe that the Jesus from down the street was also the savior of the world. You see, because for the first 30 years of his life, he seemed just like one of them. He was one of them. That's why Jesus is an unlikely hero. The people in his day didn't see it coming. Like, what? Jesus? There was nothing exceptional about his upbringing. He worked alongside his father, Joseph, probably laboring six days a week. We don't know if he was a carpenter that fixed doors or made furniture or, you know, we don't know whether he worked with wood or stone or what he did. We don't know if he built custom furniture. We just know he was a carpenter by trade. In all likelihood, from the region he was raised, he probably lived in a small home with his parents and his siblings. The the residents of Galilee were not wealthy. Food was pretty hard to come by in his days, so they were probably poor. I think that's, you know, one reason that Jesus could relate to the poor so much. He began his ministry years at age 30. And we kind of glean from, from this that there's a good chance that he was homeless. Luke 9, verse 57 says, And as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You see, his earthly, earthly life was not easy. He didn't have a closet full of clothes. He didn't have a pantry full of food. He was basically a nomad relying on the kindness and generosity of others. He struggled with the same hardships that we face today. Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry. 
His thumb throbbed when he hit it with a hammer. His feet were tired at the end of the day. When he was sad, he cried. When he was a little agitated, he raised his voice, but never to the point of being sinful. Jesus and his buddies and his friends like to have fun. Sometimes they like to have so much fun that, uh, you know, uh, people begin to accuse him of things. Uh, he would go to wedding feasts. He would go to parties. He would have lively meals with his friends. People would probably be at a restaurant and they'd hear an outburst of laughter and they'd probably look over at him and, and see him and all of his buddies there laughing. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, it says, the son of man come eating and drinking. And they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by their deeds. What do we learn from that passage? That Jesus hung around with people who weren't all that great. He hung around with tax collectors. He hung around with sinners. He hung around with people that got a little loud and drank a little wine and, and, and got a little crazy at times. And it says there that, that, that he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. But he never crossed the line. He never sinned. I think Jesus liked to have a good time. He liked to laugh around the dinner table. So much so that people would falsely accuse him of things. I think it would do good for all of us to have a mental image of Jesus laughing really hard. I mean just a belly laugh, head back, teeth showing, just laughing his head off. Proverbs said a cheerful heart is good medicine. God made us to laugh. I think we need to laugh more. It's a sign of inward joy and happiness. Sometimes I think we're just too serious. Sometimes you just need a good laugh. Have some good humor. Jesus did. I think Jesus was somebody that would get invited to parties. He got invited to weddings. We know that. He got invited to weddings before he'd ever publicly shown who he was. The first miracle he did was at a wedding, so he'd been invited to the wedding before he'd done any miracles. I love how Max Lucado put it in one of his books. He said this, I think it's significant that common folk in a little town enjoyed being with Jesus. I think it noteworthy that the Almighty didn't act high and mighty. The Holy One wasn't holier than thou. The one who knew it all wasn't a know-it-all. The one who made the stars didn't keep his head in them. The one who owns all the stuff on earth never strutted it. He could have, but he didn't. Isn't that good? Jesus was God. He was the word that spoke the world into existence. And yet he humbled himself by becoming a, a common man. He didn't need to study, but he went to the synagogue. He didn't need income but he worked a job probably six days a week. He'd heard the sweetest music ever played around the throne in heaven. And yet he would go to the parties and listen to them bang out their music, even with tax collectors. What's the point? Yes, Jesus was 100% God, but Jesus was also 100% man. I want to go back now and read our opening passage in light of everything that we've just learned. In your relationship with others, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, 
and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why? Why would Jesus do what he did? Why would Jesus leave the glory of heaven, put on human flesh and become 100% human? He did it because he loves you because he loves me. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. He came to save the world. That's why he did what he did. He came to earth to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be rescued, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be restored in our relationship with God, so that you and I could spend eternity in heaven. That's why Jesus did what he did. That's why he is the most incredible hero. He showed us how to live. He showed us the fact that you can live a life without sin. You can live a life that pleases God. You can do it. We just have this mindset, oh, I can't do it. Yes, you can. Jesus proved it can be done. He was human. And he proved it can be done. Romans 12, Paul said, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. If you're here today and you know Christ is your savior, I challenge you, let's start cleaning up a little bit. Let's be a little bit more righteous. Let's, let's live a little more holy. Let's, let's not get drawn into sin. Let's live a life that pleases God. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, there's never been a time when you trusted what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross as the payment for your sin. You know, sometimes we get confused and we think it has to do with religion. It has nothing to do with religion. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. Jesus came to establish a relationship, provide a way for you and I to communicate with God, for you and I to be restored in our relationship with God. He didn't say, go to church and you'll go to heaven. He didn't say, do good works. He didn't say, as long as you do more good than you do bad, you're going to get in. There, that, that just is a lie. That's nowhere in scripture. You're not going to earn your way to heaven. I'm not going to earn my way to heaven. The only way into heaven is through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's the only way. We don't earn our way in. Jesus paid for our, paid for our sins. We put our faith in him and we trust in him. He takes our sin, we get his righteousness. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He makes it, it's a, it's a gift. That's why we sing about the amazing grace of God because salvation is a gift. It's offered, but you have to receive it. You have to take it. It's yours, but you have to receive it. You put your faith in what Jesus Christ did, not what you do. Not where you hang your church membership hat. But putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you never trusted Christ as your Savior, in a moment I'm going I'm to lead us in a prayer. And I say this every time I do this. I, I don't have any kind of a special prayer. This prayer, prayer isn't in scripture. I never say it the same way twice. Because it's not getting the words of the prayer right. 
it's, it's between your heart and the heart of God. I'm just kind of helping you to communicate and kind of, kind of put it into words, but it's, it's, it's about you. Don't get to heaven and say, Pastor Tim told me I can get in here. You know, don't work that way. I never tell anybody they are or aren't saved. That's between you and God, you know. I don't save people, I point them to a savior, you know. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll lead you in a, in, a, in a prayer, but it's, it's, whether it's between your heart and the heart of God, whether it's something that you want to do. You don't clean up to get saved, but once you get saved, you do, you do, you do change your life. You do begin to repent and turn away from the sin and do your best to live a life that pleases God. Amen. So if you'd like to, you'd like to pray to receive Christ, I just invite you to pray with me. The heads bowed and eyes closed. You don't have to pray it out loud, just between your heart and the heart of God. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I've broken your word. I've lied. I've cheated. I've stolen. I, I've displeased you. I've committed so many sins. And God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sins and what I've done. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. And the best I know how, I'm asking Jesus to save me and forgive me. I want to spend eternity in heaven with you, God. I want to please you with my life and to bring glory to you in the remaining days of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. But most importantly, God, thank you for your salvation. And thank you for Jesus Christ. Help me to please him in all I do now, in Jesus' name. And God, I pray if there's some here today that maybe they've been saved for a while, but they've kind of walked or wandered. Maybe, God, they're, they've kind of drifted away. That, God, maybe today, maybe today, God, you just draw them one step closer to you. Lord, your word tells us that if we draw an eye to you, you'll draw an eye to us. And God, I pray. All of us are prone to wander, God. Uh, so God, I pray. There may be some here today that would just take a step back towards you. Lord, there may be some here today that they've been struggling with sin. And God, I pray that as we looked at the humanity of Jesus today, we'll see the fact that we, we, we can be victorious over sin, that we don't have to live a life of sin, that we can live a life of righteousness and holiness. So God, help us to do that. May we bring glory and honor to you in all that we do. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. Let's stand as we sing our final song this morning.